Hi, I'm Tariq. And I'm Chris. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Uh, Tariq, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Uh, yeah, I'm Tariq. I make video games and art, and I'm making a game called Catacomb Kids. It's been in early access for 7,000 years, but it's still good, and you should play it. Yeah, you're almost done with that, right? Uh, another, another like, 3,000 years. Okay. Past the halfway point. Yeah, past the halfway point. Nice. Uh, ideally, this is also how long it takes to get good at the game. Yes. Yeah, the, it's infinite replayability until the heat death of the universe. That's what I'm going for. <laughs> and Chris, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? Hey, I'm Chris. I also make games sometimes and uh, I didn't think of anything to plug. So, nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, would you like to start on some topics? Let's do it. Chris, your first topic is revisiting Game Maker after 10 years and getting right back into it. Yeah. So, this past weekend, my friend and I... Sorry. Let me start a little earlier. The whole reason <laughs> that I'm a programmer now is because I like found Game Maker when I was younger, like maybe like... 12 or something like that and me and my friend from elementary school would like hang out and like make little games just for fun and that's like how i learned how to program why i care about it literally it's why i'm doing what i'm doing now and then me and the same friend this past saturday were like let's open up game maker the new one and, and try to make something and it was it was really great and most of what we remembered from way back in the day was still completely useful which was weird <laughs> But it's but it has a dark theme now. It's very cool. Oh yeah, it's got a it's stole it from Unity probably. Yeah, or maybe vice versa. I'm not sure. Oh yeah, it could be vice versa. Yeah, I I, do, I would not have expected any. Um, you'd be able to just jump right, jump right back in where you left off and for it to still work. Yeah, me neither. And also like a lot of a lot of the ways that I learned how to think about programming were from that. And like, don't work with other things. So it's nice <laughs> <laughs> to not fight it so much. Yeah. Like what's an example? Like just how, or like things being based on events in a lot of cases. And um, you think about the game just as running however many times per second, like 60 or something used to be 30. And just thinking of everything in those terms. I mean, that's how I make games. Yeah, is that not how other programming languages work? Because GameMaker is the only tool that I know how to use it to any degree of proficiency for making games. Most programming languages like are linear, where they start execution at a function and then just keep going wherever you direct it to go. And you have to make the 60 hertz loop yourself. You have, and you right. have to make event systems yourself. Right. And you can totally build that stuff up and it's not that hard, but it's not just how it works by default. Yeah. It's actually kind of interesting because like, I love Game Maker. I Well, there's things about it that I hate, but for the most part, I really love it as a tool and I've been using it for similarly since I was like 12 or 13 or something like that. And um, the most recent update uh 2.3 like so i've uh, like for the entire like history of game maker it, there've been like objects and scripts and scripts were like separate things and now they've like changed it so that the scripts 
can behave more like I guess functions in the in like the traditional sense of like other programming languages. But like I feel like for the longest time working with GameMaker hindered my understanding of certain other programming concepts because of the way they like divvied everything up. And yeah. now it kind of is starting to like it still has all like the you know classic game maker functions and that sort of thing, and it makes a lot of things way easier. But it kind of like resembles more closely uh, in some ways more traditional programming languages. So I'm hopeful that people who are uh, learning programming and learning game dev by getting into game maker now will maybe be a little better prepared to make the jump to other languages and tools than I was forever ago because it took me like a really long time to like wrap my head around the idea of like oh here's like a function that's that does this thing and then you like move to this other object but it's not an object in the game maker sense of an object it's like an object in the programming sense of an object and it's is is very strange and like those are things that I kind of understand now but it was like a hurdle kind of getting to that understanding yeah I think it's a common problem that words that mean different things in different contexts you can pull in more information that is useful or that or then is correct from the context you came from right yeah it's like if um if you're trying to get into philosophy and you you see pro, you see terms from programming like monad and you're like oh i know what that means and you think it's giving you a head start, but it's really not. That's a reproductive organ, right? That's, that's right. You're, oh, you're thinking of uh, where monks live. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you think your old Game Maker code would would run on the new version of Game Maker? I can probably confirm that it won't, because. I have been working on the same project across multiple Game Maker versions, and every major update has broken it in multiple ways that required like a week to a month to fix. Well, maybe not a month, but like a couple weeks to fix. Sometimes that is a bummer. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there would be. I, you could probably like make the jump over over a couple conversions and get it to working again, but you, it would it would be an amount of effort. A non-zero amount of effort. Is that something that you know about long enough in advance that you're like, ah, oh, it's that time of the the decade again or whatever? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's Game Maker Day next month. Well, I, I guess if you if you like actually follow the development of the tool, like of Game Maker as a tool, they're they have like beta branches and that sort of thing that are and they're usually pretty open about any large changes that are going to break things. So for this 2.3 update, I was like I was definitely like anticipating a lot of things would break and that was the case and I'm actually still working on what was the current one? I think the previous one was like 2.1 or something like that because it broke too many things and I was not able to fix them and I didn't feel like dealing with it. So I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to pass for now and deal with this later yeah in the last two games i shipped um we i mean in the second one it was just me doing the programming but we picked we're gonna we're just gonna ship on this version of unity and in both cases it was like two years out of date out of date by the time we shipped and that's fine because that was still supported mm. uh, and that works great if your project has a time scale of like three years right yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah, I think that's the only way to ship in Unity. <laughs> you know, people are always talking about the blog posts, about the cool new features that are coming out. And I'm always like, no, can we not? No. Uh, I heard blah and I thought you were going to, I thought you were going to say people are always talking about the blockchain. 
No, that's another term from both philosophy and programming that I don't know much about. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm curious, Chris, like uh, coming back to GameMaker from all this time away, like are there any, is there like any like general programming knowledge and stuff that you're bringing to it that you're like, oh, this is so much easier now that I understand this thing in a broader context than than just this one like specific tool? I don't think we really were able to like make, spend enough time to like have something complicated enough to really, for the, you know, the programming to really be that, I guess, complex or like layered, but I like the functions. Is that a new thing? That is a new thing. Yes. That, that is as of, I want to say like mid last year or late last year when they, they put out that uh, 2.3 update, which added a lot of things that I was, ex- that I'm excited about. And I've, I've messed around with it a bit. I just can't really use it in my main project because if I do, it just kind of randomly crashes with like unhandled exceptions from time to time or something like that. Like it won't even give me like the error message. It'll just close. And I'm like, hmm, I don't know how to track this down. You got to break out the machine level, machine language debugger to fix that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I've I've messed with it a little bit, um, like on on a side project, and I really like all the all the like function, like actual function shaped functions instead of like each script being a separate file. Oh, is that that what that's what that means? I was wondering. Like, oh, the game maker invented functions. That's great. Is this <laughs> is this like math functions or is it like C functions or? Yeah, like like you define a function that does a thing and you can define multiple functions in the same file. That used to not be the case like up until last year. It used to be you could only run scripts and scripts started at the beginning of the file and it ended at the end of it. Exactly. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, I thought of something I wanted to say when you were talking about um, going into Game Maker as a beginner and like learning to work a certain way and thinking about building games a certain way. I remember watching people build an animation in basic where they they wrote code to animate something and then they wrote code, they wrote more code after that to animate another thing and were very disappointed that the two things weren't animating at the same time because like in both cases it was like a you know for i equals 1 to 10 move this ball across the screen and then after that was done, it would, for I equals one to 10, you know, make the butterfly move. And if you are experienced, you know, writing game-like code, you know that you have to break that up into frames. You, you, you take these two processes and you separate them into individual steps. But what I wanted to do for these people and didn't know how using the, that tool set was give them a tool that actually behaved the way they wanted, which would be like a basically um, some sort of multitasking system where like maybe coroutines yeah. to actually, so they could actually just write these two functions and they would both run at the same time. And, and you wouldn't have to think about like uh, explicitly interleaving them. Interesting. Yeah. I just recently learned what those are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that, do those exist in Game Maker in some way? Like, I think, again, that's like another very recent addition as of last year. Last major update they did was like a really big thing that added a whole bunch of whole bunch of stuff. 
I can't remember like what the new name for it is, but it's like you can kind of if you want to like make like a like skeletal animations and stuff within the system or within within the IDE 2D skeletal like puppet animation or like you can use that same system to like make like bullet hell bullet patterns and that sort of thing. Just kind of like general here's here's something you can use to animate objects from place to place and, you know, tie events to each each time frame and that sort of thing. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, I really like Game Maker. It has some issues that frustrate me to no end, but they're worth like dealing with. I think for the like ultimate power that I get, and and also like the familiarity I have with the program after working it for for with it for so long. Nice. Do you remember when you started when someone started trying to port Catacomb Kids to C plus plus? I do, and it didn't work out because. You'd been adding to this game for 10 years and yes. <laughs> require a commensurate amount of time <laughs> to port all the code over. Yes. It was like we were like trying to plan out like how how much time it would take and how much it would cost. And it, like the before before like laying out everything, that's like uh was like, oh yeah, it'll take like a few weeks, a month. Uh and then yeah. like after I had like outlined everything and like okay here are all the systems here's here's the stuff that that needs to be done like at a, at a very high level the new estimate was like oh this is like six months of like full-time work uh yeah and i'm like mm. that sounds right yeah i'm like mm, i don't they could also just have like run a, a line count on the code base or can you do that in game maker you can do that you can do that yeah you used to not be able to but ever since ever since dark theme okay <laughs> 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 ever since dark theme you've been able to to do line count yeah unity has a similar thing where like you can check a box and everything will be stored in text files instead of a big binary blob actually i'm no i haven't i haven't checked what the line count is i can't i think i checked a while ago but i can't remember what it was but i should, I should i'm curious now i want to find out yeah yeah just figure out how many lines of code you write per <laughs> second hmm Divide by 10 years and <laughs> oh, no. for the 7,000 hours. That's right. What uh, I'm curious, what is like a reasonable amount of code for like a line count for an indie game? I don't even know. Is that a thing that's, is that even a question to, worth asking? So Frog Fractions 1 was, I, I remember this because I wrote an essay about porting Frog Fractions to Unity. Frog Fractions 1 was about 13,000 lines of code. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Frog Fractions uh, Remastered plus the Hat DLC uh, ended up being about 40,000. Dang. Okay. Counting the uh, conversation tree scripts and cutscene scripting. Is that a lot? <laughs> I'm vaguely remembering that the last time I did a line count of Catacomb Kids, I think it came out to like... 53,000 or like 60,000 lines or something. Dang. Yeah, that seems about right for a for an action roguelike that's been worked on for by one person for 10 okay. years. <laughs> uh so for context, I have I have some context here and this is going to be a little bit hard to think about because it's not like an ex a straight across comparison. I was talking to one of the developers of the Spider-Man game for PlayStation 4. Uh, and he said, just the character animation code, like the code that takes your controller input and turns that into character movement mm -hmm. in the world was 10 megabytes. Oh my just God. Just the code? Just that Jeez, code. Yeah. Please. 
Wow. And so if we if we like assume that's like 40 characters per line, that's am I doing this math right? That's 250,000 lines of code. Jeez. Is that how long lines are supposed to be? Because I've been doing something very wrong. <laughs> I mean, that's just like some of them are going to be shorter. Some of them are going to be longer. I have a lot yeah. of ones. <laughs> yeah. 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 Maybe the right way to measure it is not to calculate the lines of code, but like how many bits of entropy <laughs> are in the code or something. Oh, yeah. You zip it and then you look at the zip file size. <laughs> that's an interesting idea. I mean, I think honestly, I think that... um that's one of the metrics that Pico 8 uses to decide whether or not your card is too big. Oh, interesting. Like, they're, like that system is trying to come up with uh, interesting constraints. And so it used to be like a, a straight, like just line number limit. And then people would like, they would just make really long lines. <laughs> and then it was like a token, token limit, right? Or something where. But then like you can. In Lua, you can, I think you can execute strings. So they would just put like every, all the program in one string. Oh, wow. <laughs> so they had, like, they had to come up with uh, interesting, like, fair constraints to make it feel, you know, you have to stop people from ruining it for themselves, yeah, basically. Right. Uh, are we ready for another topic? Sure. Sure. Tyreek, your topic is what's your JRPG slash anime vocal quirk? So. I noticed that in like a lot of like JRPGs or anime, like characters always seem to have some kind of vocal quirk that they do every time they talk or like, like a frog character might say ribbit after, after every line of their, of their talk or like somehow incorporate <laughs> ribbit into their speech pattern. But like, you know, the Japanese version of ribbit, I don't know what that is. Is this like how in Animal Crossing, every character has a nickname for you that they say in every sentence? I've never played Animal Crossing, but I assume it's it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Or in, in the anime uh, One Piece, uh, every like character has a unique laugh that is like characteristic to them. One of Yeah, that's a thing in Dark Souls too. Is it? <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> I was unaware. <laughs> What, what? Like every character you meet laughs at you, but like they all have a distinctive, recognizable oh, laugh that great. supposedly says something about them. Oh, I wonder. I wonder if they like took that from One Piece, or if that's just like a Japanese cultural thing that your laugh is like somehow, somehow like like says something about your character. Yeah, it maps to your blood type. Yeah, yeah. My favorite. My favorite from One Piece is uh, the skeleton character uh, Brook. He laughs like yo. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah so i'm just curious like like if you had a femi 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 that would be yours <laughs> that would be my laugh femi 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 okay <laughs> so the reason this question popped into my mind is because i was like oh man there's so many options i don't know what mine would be <laughs> right my jrpg vocal quirk is that whenever a character just says dot 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 and nothing like that's the entire dialogue box yeah that means they farted <laughs> oh man yeah which is not something i invented i can't remember where i where i've read this but it vastly improves like my experience like when i when i'm playing anything with jrpg style cutscenes, i'm usually bored out of my skull and that really just fixes it right like just one small change in my thought process like oh suddenly this is entertaining <laughs> someone just farted <laughs> Yep. Hilarious. It's like a vocal quirk of your mind for other people who are <laughs> characters in a game. 
for the vocal quirks, is it is it just like the laughs or is that is that just like one example? Like, that was one example. But like, who says Koopo? That's a thing, right? That's a, I, th- I think that is a is that thing. Moogles? I'm going to say Moogles. I've never played a Final Fantasy game. I hate them. <laughs> In Urban Dictionary, Koopo, the word that is uttered at the end of the sentence by the creature Moogle. Okay. The meaning of this word is unknown. Yeah. So like whenever a Moogle talks, they just end their sentence with Koopo. And that's just how they talk. And so it's like just some kind of weird vocal quirk of theirs. I remember in high school in the book, The Great Gatsby, I cannot remember which character would always say old sport. Right. Is that the same thing? <laughs> I think that would that would probably count. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like a similar thing. Yeah. That's very Animal Crossing like. Like they have stuff like that. Like, what do you think of that? Old sport, except they wouldn't say old sport. I can't remember what they say. Niblet. Yeah. Usually it's related to what kind of animal they are. Right, right. And then and then you can, um, sometimes they'll ask you like, I want a new catchphrase. And then you can type in a swear word and then return the game to GameStop. And so then the GameStop will sell <laughs> it to a small child and they'll end up on the local news. That's how you get your 20 minutes or 15, however many minutes of fame you get. I forget. Tyreek, do you know what yours would be? I think I have like a few ideas. I would probably like to incorporate Ba into my speech in some way, like a goat, uh, because goats are my favorite animal and I love them. And I feel like it would be, you know, bring me a little closer to to goats if I could just like figure out some way to like finagle goat sound into my speech. I think you have to use, a, make a goat noise and not just say Ba because Ba also means like Ba humbug. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. I guess sheep also Ba. And sheep are less cool than goats. And they mix very similar noises. Right. Yeah. It's pretty, yeah. It's, it's pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. Rough. I need to work on my uh, like ability to do that without karate chopping my throat repeatedly. You were doing it subtly enough that I, I kind of had to double take like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that's ideal then. Maybe, maybe I want to do it like just subtly enough that people are like, wait, did he just, did he just make a goat sound? And then I'll be like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> That's neat. Also, I think Bah Humbug is one of Scrooge. Yeah, I'd count that one too. I guess it's it's just like a catchphrase. Well, but I think it's different from a catchphrase because a lot of times, in especially in anime, it'll be like something that they like incorporate into their speech and not just like a separate phrase necessarily. It's like something that they can't even control, you know? And it's like attached to the specific character. Because like yeah. me and my brothers, this we spend enough time together this year that we have just like weird phrases and sounds that we just kind of make at each other when we're talking or just like hanging out on Discord and not really talking. It's kind of like a call and response thing. It reminds a little bit of the vocal quirk, but it's it's not something that we would do outside of each other's company, I guess. Or at least hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that something like that would be really useful for for people who have like face blindness or something. Oh yeah, if everybody went around saying having having their own like weird noise that they made repeatedly instead of just having a face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Not in addition to, instead of. <laughs> right. Actually, I really like that because I know like some people who have face blindness are like, don't change your hair because your hair is how I identify you. I don't know your face. Right. I just know you as the person with like this color and this style of hair. And so, I'm kind of like thinking like it might be like actually beneficial to society as a whole if everybody had more aspects about themselves that they could make unique and like identifiably them yeah. so that you'd never mistake one person for another and deal with awkward that awkward situation, which would be a boon to all of society. I agree with that. That's, that's awesome. Have y'all ever had a moment in your life where you were just like, my signature is not cool enough? <laughs> I have. No, because I never got a chance to sign my, a, a copy of the Glittermitten Grove boxed game for the maid because of the pandemic. The oh, maid no. shut down. <laughs> That's really sad. That is sad. But if I did, then I would be like, my signature is just like a tiny, it's like it's just a squiggle. It's like the first quarter of a J in cursive. I remember... As a kid, I, w I didn't understand cursive and so I would just like make scribbles and be like, hey, look, I did it. It's cursive. Yeah. Yeah. Winston's about there. Well, I was like eight or ten or something. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like this went on for like way longer than it should have. Like I understood cursive in theory. Well, actually, no, I understood cursive, but I didn't understand signatures. That's okay. what it was, I think. Uh -huh. Where like signature, signature to me, every signature looked like the exact same, like just squiggle. And I'm always like really jealous of people who have signatures that are like structured in some way mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, you know, like there's the, there's that letter. And then like, okay, there's like some kind of like consistent symbology between it. And then there's that other letter, you know, or something like that. Like how Shigeru Miyamoto's signature has like a face in it. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Where it's like. And like, and, but like very consistently they can like do the same thing, but it also looks like it was designed. I'm like, I want that kind of signature, but I don't know. Well, I mean, I assume it takes effort and I don't want to do that. Yeah. You got to sit down and, and actually, if you want a designed signature, I guess you could hire a signature designer. Oh man. Is that a thing? Is that a thing? It has to be right. I don't know if it's like a, like if you could make a living doing it, but I know it has been done like the, the Walt Disney logo. That's not Walt Disney's signature. Someone designed that. What? No, that makes <laughs> sense. Yeah. But it's a little mind blowing <laughs> still. Yeah. I feel like you maybe could make a living at it because who would want a design signature, but rich people who you could charge a fortune. Yeah. Like no one's got that amount of caring about their signature other than people with too much money to burn. The other, well, then unfortunately you then have to practice it. Right. Well, that, that, that would be the, the like the, the role of the signature designer would be to make a signature that is like, that like matches the person, but also flows really well. So they don't, so it doesn't, oh, it's like, yes. yeah. like the amount of effort that goes into the signature would be like part of the commission, you know, it's like, oh, I've designed it so that this curve easily flows into this curve with this smooth motion and you don't have to worry about it. This is just that the motion your hand makes, you know? Yeah. And when uh, when society finally, finally comes around on vocal quirks, the same signature designers can become the vocal quirk designers because it's I feel like it's the same crisis you would have, but but much bigger because most people don't see your signature. 
and then they'll they'll be right there they'll be ready to to help design the first best vocal quirks you know what i need i need a fart designer so that every (laughs) character in every jrpg has a different unique fart to play when they say an ellipsis I thought you were going to say you wanted to hire a fart designer for yourself to like design, design <laughs> no, no, this is a vocal the unique timbre for other people. Of, you, of your own farts. There's enough like just like crude slapstick comedy, you know, like TV shows and movies and stuff that like it would probably hurt my brain to learn how much money has been spent on fart sounds in the world. I wonder if I could just wear like wear a duck call. Like and that be your thing? That be your 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 quirk. That would be my unique fart. I mean, oh, <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> I thought it was like your uh, yeah COVID mask, right? Well, I got it. I got a surprise for you under my mask. It's a duck call. <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing this kid whose mask was just had this big damp spot in the middle. No, oh, no. And I couldn't figure out why until I got close to him and I heard and I heard that he was constantly blowing raspberries. Oh. What, what does that mean again? Uh, it's when you make a fart noise with your tongue. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Why is it called that? <laughs> I never understood that either. Uh, I think it's because the tongue is red. <laughs> <laughs> the tongue is red. Nice. That was cool. Let's, let's see what Edim Online says. Ah, oh, it's um, it is, it's Cockney rhyming slang. Of course it is. Raspberry tart for fart. Oh, of wow. course. Everything that doesn't make sense comes from Cockney rhyming slang. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I know where to look for trivia night, I guess. Are we ready for another topic? I think so. I think so. And my topic is electric showers. Have have you two heard of electric showers? Sounds dangerous. Is that a band? (laughs) It should be. I found out about this yesterday on Mastodon. I saw someone posted, everybody's complaining about how electric showers in Brazil aren't grounded. Well, here it's grounded now. It's just as safe as everything else. And there was a photo of a shower head that was plugged into a wall outlet. (laughs) And then there was a, a... handmade like wire coming down from that sticking into a like a pot of soil (laughs) and i was just this is this is this is hilarious okay this is a funny bit but then i clicked on the thread and like they were talking about electric showers like like they like they were actually a thing and so i did a search for it and this is totally a thing what what does it do the advantage of an it heats your water Okay, that makes sense. The advantage of the electric shower as opposed to using the uh, hot water heater across the house is that it heats the water to exactly the temperature you specify instantly. So it's a a tankless water heater? Uh, Yeah, yeah. It just heats water as it passes through the shower head. Okay. It sounds like something that was invented for mobile homes and RVs. Okay. You know, I get the sense that homes in Brazil are kind of like that. Like, according to one thread I read, a lot of the time when you see, like, power outlets with grounding pins in them, they're not hooked up to anything because houses in Brazil aren't usually grounded. They're floating six inches off the floor at all yeah, times. That's, that's right. They're on stilts just so that electricians can fuck you over. <laughs> 
that's like slightly terrifying. Yeah. I think actually many laptops might do this, but two of the old laptops that I used to use, um, like most of the apartments I've ever lived in don't have working grounding pins because like they're old. So like if you if you would plug them in and they weren't grounded, you could like feel this weird like buzzing on your hands when you would touch the like when you when you'd put your hands down to type, you know, there's like little metal pads and like you could definitely feel that something was going on between yeah your hands and the laptop that was not supposed to but i don't know everywhere online is like it's fine the other like in the thread people were saying like you know i i've been showering for like this for 20 years and i've only been shocked a few times <laughs> oh no jesus <laughs> uh, you just have to not, not touch the plumbing fix the metal plumbing fixtures Wear rubber gloves whenever you turn it on and off. Yeah, yeah. Another person was saying, like, we I always wear, you know, rubber flip-flops in the shower. Wow. Wow. Like, no, apparently nobody's been, like, nobody in the thread. Well, okay, this is really <laughs> funny now that I think about it. Nobody in the thread died. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to just knock on wood for them real quick. Yeah. <laughs> someone, someone comes in like, I'm a ghost. This this is day more dangerous than you thought. <laughs> like there's a, you know, in like the self-help world or like the, you know, people becoming like more efficient as humans or whatever, you know, the people are really into cold showers, right? But maybe this is the next step up from that. It's like you really, if you really want to wake up, you just, just go ahead and poke <laughs> the plumbing on your shower and that'll wake you up real good. And you'll probably survive to post in the thread still. Yeah. According to this guy, 220 volt electric showers are better than 110. At least twice as good. Of course they are. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if there are like any like health implications of constant like low level exposure to just electrical current through you. Yeah, that's a that's an excellent question. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like it could be really bad or it could maybe be good. I don't know. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> like it, it might like give you like, a, you know, it was like this will help clear out your pores or whatever. I don't know what people want from things. Yeah. Yeah. Healthy heart. If you just give it a constant current. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how it runs. So. Right. Just a little bit though. Give it some extra pep. Extra pep in its Applying the... The principles of a pacemaker to everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little terrifying. Probably not compatible with an electric shower either. Yeah. Right. Except for the old like plutonium powered ones. Those might be okay. That's a thing? I, th I think there was like a brief window of old pacemakers that were made with like nuclear batteries that would never have to be replaced. So like they're still still going. They will go forever. You could dig up their corpses and they're still, their hearts are still going. Are the people getting like irradiated and cancerous and stuff? But their hearts work? I don't think work? so actually. I think that, I think that there are still people around that have them. But I, just the idea of that is very cool to me. I don't know why. That is cool. That's like, I mean, it's like some super, superhero, supervillain stuff. Nuclear heart. That is cool. What is that? What's the vocal cork for, for nuclear heart? <laughs> according to this article from 2007 there are nine nuclear pacemakers still in use wow. wow see those people they need to like be on a council or something yeah that is so true 
Council of the Nuclear Hearts or I don't, I don't know. The Ring Wraiths. They seem like they would be powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Like literally. Oh, yeah. No, you just you hook up your, your wireless charging phone to their... You put it on their chest. <laughs> yeah. Just plug your electric shower straight into your chest. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Oh, that was my favorite uh, installment in the Iron Man series. <laughs> Dang. Sorry. We can... I know there was a lull there, but I'm just electric showers. Like it's not, it's not a crazy concept, <laughs> but like the electrified electric shower is, I guess, unintentionally electrified. Yeah. I was going to say maybe it should be like gas heated, but I'm, I'm like, oh, that's already how water is heated in homes and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you could, um, you could do it right at the tap. Right. <laughs> you could have like a little <laughs> pilot light. And <laughs> it would be like like uh you know how like flamethrowers have like the the flame part in front of the part that spits out the napalm or whatever yeah or right just that but in front of a faucet and then you just turn the faucet on and it just puts the fire out yeah <laughs> like dang we didn't think this one through back to the drawing right. board let's see if we could do it electrically electric flamethrowers oh <laughs> Electric thrower. Tesla Wait, thrower. But the, oh, that's cool. That would be fun. I yeah, saw, I saw those at Maker Fair. Wow. I saw it at a gift shop or a novelty shop or something. They had these, they're like lighters, but they're like electric lighters. So, it, it looks like a lighter. But when you open it up, it just like has this like little tiny plasma arc thing going and it's really cool. That's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, I like those. I think my roommate has one of them and it's really cool. Yeah. It's like a tiny taser. Yeah. Yep. Are we ready for another topic? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I'm trying a new format here. Last episode, we ended up watching Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up at Quarter Speed and talking about it. I'm just going to try that with another, with another music video and see how it goes. So, we're going to be watching Someday by Weevil. Did I pronounce that right? Probably. At Quarter Speed. And then <laughs> I don't know if we're going to go the full 16 minutes because this, this video is four minutes long, but we'll see how, how much we can take. Uh, first of all, content warning for strobing. This music video is extremely flickery. Also, I realized during editing that this segment has a strong implication that you should be able to watch it along with the video synchronized. And if I want that to be the case... This needs to be relatively unedited, not completely unedited. I'll still edit out parts where we talk over each other, but usually I do a lot of cutting out of like pauses and boring parts, and I'm not going to do that for the next 15 minutes. So again, not unedited, but less edited. You get to hear what the podcast recording actually was like, sort of. I'll see how it turns out. Maybe next time I do this, I will just say, fuck it. You can't synchronize to the video. It'll, it's just a source of conversation because that's really what it is. Probably most people who listen to this are not going to bother synchronizing is my guess. If I can make a suggestion to make this a little more interesting, maybe uh, could probably skip to about like 20, 24 seconds in because otherwise the first minute is just this zooming in of yes. what is it, a forest? <laughs> Yeah, it's like a the the forest canopy from above. Uh, let's start at twenty seconds. All right, 
Count us down. All right. Uh, three, two, one, go. So we got this forest. It's zooming in. I'm so glad we skipped the first 20 seconds of this. <laughs> forest that looks vaguely like nerves or something. Yeah. It's an interesting video because it's so it's so like dense with with just frames. Yeah, that which I which makes it an interesting and especially interesting watch at quarter speed because you can see everything like every frame takes four times as long, but there are so many different so what's happening here is that it's um showing very rapid cuts between very similar things. So like it'll take um a a patterned floor and there take many different shots of the floor and cut between them rapidly so that the the pattern seems to be like just shifting slightly but you can see like it's because they have different dirt on them you can see they're they're looking at different parts of the floor right now it's on a it's on sewer covers but but the camera rotates each time so that the little like radial markings on the cover seem to be mostly staying still but the yeah. shapes are this is so cool oh my god it is an extremely <laughs> cool music video yeah this is this is probably my favorite music video ever and i never thought of like watching it at quarter speed so thank you for that i will say um t- to anybody listening who's going to watch this video Maybe slight like uh, warning, flashing, strobing. Yes. Yeah. Content warning for strobing. It's very uh, flickery. It's also the, I don't know if it's my internet right now or if it's just the nature of the like density of the video, but the, the compression artifacts are really, really obvious. The compression is really bad. It's it's better on there's so there's there is a version of this video on Vimeo, I think, which has like less compression, uh, but I don't think Vimeo has playback speed options. Yeah, that makes sense. It, may, it makes total sense that this is the, exactly the kind of video that uh, video codecs would be bad at. Yeah. It's like what they were designed against. It's like assuming that videos are not like this. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. This is cool though. It was doing a thing a second ago where it was spinning around. Like it was like spinning around a bus stop, but then like every frame was like a different bus stop. That's crazy. Yeah. Have you seen Duncan Robson's Star Turns series? Yeah. Nope. It's a, a series of uh, animated heaths that take (laughs) where he takes as many movie posters as he can find from the same with the same actor and uh matches them all up so that he can animate their head turning around wow it's really good the rest of the photo the rest of the the poster is just a flickery mess but it the the middle of the frame is this character this this actor's head turning Mm-hmm. In different like lighting setups and 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 stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're all from different posters. Yeah, that is really cool. Yeah, it is really cool. Like, well, uh, like a couple of them have gone viral, and he's gotten no recognition out of it because they weren't 
uh, attributed to him. Yeah. It's like the sort of thing that's very easily postable to like just any kind of uh, website where people collect things and repost them uncredited. Yep. That's how viral everything works, right? <laughs> Pretty much. Yep. Yep. Yeah, but now with now that they have NFTs, someone can like <laughs> a a tech bro can pay him a hundred thousand dollars for one of these things. Crypto art poster turn head turns. Yep. That's right. That's kind of cool. I, I have to admit the aspect of this being an excuse for like rich tech people to give artists money, that's that part's good. Right. Yeah. I've mostly been seeing on my like Twitter timeline of late that it's just destroying the planet though, which uh -huh, seems yeah. less great. That part seems bad. In theory, all of these cryptocurrencies and crypto, whatever you call NFTs, in theory, they can um, switch to something with, instead of what they call proof of work, which is actually doing the the thing that destroys the planet to proof of stake. Uh, and that stuff has been theoretically shown to work, but, and I think there's a, there's a better um, path, like a more realistic path for NFTs switching over to proof of stake. Uh oh, I just lost y'all. Uh, oh, I think it's my headphones. I am still here. I still hear you. I'm still here as well. Okay, yeah, you probably just can't hear me. You can't hear us. Okay, I can now. Okay. Welcome back. Thank you. Um but also that I'm I'm pretty sure there is no realistic path to cryptocurrencies switching over to a proof of stake uh paradigm. Like because Bitcoin is always going to be the most popular one. Right. <laughs> That's that's too bad. So the short version is that like I think NFTs aren't hopeless, but I think Bitcoin is and should be regulated as the planet destroyer that it is. <laughs> yep. The yeah, the the funny thing about that is like when I first kind of caught wind of the NFT thing happening, like the thought that I had was so like I understand cryptocurrency as like an an analog to like cash money because like there's like you can't trace it or whatever. Like I, I understand that, but the NFT like art trading sale ownership with commission going back to the initial artist, possibly I was like, wow, this, this feels like the only thing that I've seen that is like a compelling reason to use this technology. Like I think most of the other things I've seen, you know, it, it's just like, uh, but do you like, I don't like, why do you need that? But this one is like, I understand why this is the only tech that like can really do that i don't know i don't know if it really is though because there's like a billion <laughs> cryptocurrencies so it's like well like there's the there's the companies that will like you can buy a star <laughs> that's true and then that name will go next to the stars the coordinates in their database and your name will rather and no one else ever, will ever buy that star it's just you oh here sorry I'm just watching the video and getting yeah, yeah the video is still really cool. <laughs> I guess we're not really talking about it though. <laughs> I got distracted because there was a part where they were like uh, doing the head turn thing that uh, was mentioned earlier that Duncan Duncan Robson does, uh, except with like old classical uh, paintings 
and like murals and stuff like renaissance paintings of just like taking pictures of like someone's head in one painting and then someone's someone else's head in a different painting at a slightly different angle Mm -hmm. and then just doing that to like have this like series of head turns across multiple frames of different people that's so cool such a good video yeah the the right now for a while it was doing the top of like chap buildings or chapels or something but just the the rotation of the like 3d shape just makes it look really 3d even though it's just a youtube video i don't know it's pretty cool it's really neat yeah i'm seeing a lot of what looks like um i mean it's it's photography of like the inside of churches yeah Uh, when i visited italy you saw a lot of like interesting forced perspective work in churches like i don't know if you've been to to like il duomo or seen photos of it but like you go into these churches and like the floor is painted such that you know the they're like there's a a, a like a starburst checkerboard pattern like emanating out from a certain point and the idea is that like you go stand in the middle of this pattern you look around and it looks like the floor is kind of coming up around you like a wall whoa oh wow and it's supposed to like it's supposed to give you vertigo and you're it's a way to like feel the power of god uh from as a result of this geometry you know sounds like the power of a cool architect well yeah but you know it's uh you're supposed to project it onto god right god made the architect i guess <laughs> right true that's pretty cool yeah that is neat these buildings are cool that are in the video also <laughs> there's like a bunch <laughs> of high rises i thought i saw the the san francisco pyramid whatever it's called in there but maybe not there's a lot of buildings in the world I feel like what we're looking at now is done in Google Maps. Like, it's the same conceit as the rest of the video, but now instead of like going out and photographing stuff, they're just taking screenshots, screen caps of Google Maps. Yeah, and the compression is really struggling for mine. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's not, not happy. happy. I love aerial photography, though. It's like one of my favorite visual conceits. Mm-hmm. It's just like things from above directly down. Uh, how come? Do you know? Do you just like what it looks like? I mean, it's, yeah, it's like abstract art, I guess. It's so unnatural. You never see things from this perspective. Yeah. yeah. And like the way, the way things look is, is so strange and it, and it like very often to me, it looks like, uh, just something that like a, an abstract painter would would create, except you're like, oh no, that's an a- that's a place, that's an actual location. That just from a from a way we would never see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've been watching uh, the Expanse with my roommate, and we've been like catching up. And in the most recent season, we watched uh, they like there there were a bunch of like shots from above, like from this vertical uh, sort of aerial view of this alien planet that they were like exploring and my roommate got like kind of weirded out because I got really excited <laughs> every time one of those <laughs> shots appeared mm-hmm. just cause I was like, Oh yes, aerial photo. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> now we're getting a lot of shots of freeways, which are making freeway intersections, which is making me want to go play freeways again. Mm. Freeways? The freeway designing game. Oh, cool. 
Yeah, it's it's actually it is really neat. It's a it's a, a game where you design freeway intersections, and it's done in the simplest way imaginable. It's by uh, the same guy who made Desert Golfing. Oh, okay. I was going to say Mini Metro, but different people? Different people, yeah. Okay. Much less polished than Mini Metro. It's like, it's pretty janky actually, but it is extremely fun. I, th- I find it extremely fun. I thought the people that were making Mini Metro were also working on a similar kind of thing. The, they did- um, I might be wrong uh, about that. They did Apple Arcade Mini Motorways. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. Oh yeah, there was is that a, a freeway game? You can you can put freeways in it. I haven't played it because I don't own an Apple thing. Yeah, same. It's it's cool. I also don't myself own an Apple thing, but um I've played it on my friends and it's it's very charming. And you can make freeways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh I am curious if the pattern the what the sorts of things this video is showing you follow some sort of a pattern. Like they are like now we're seeing like farmland before that we were seeing like freeway intersections before that we were seeing like, uh, uh, we were seeing cities. I think, I think the theme that I have noticed across this video is it started out with things very close up and very urban uh-huh. and it's been, it's been getting gradually further and further away and more rural. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Like a lot of, a lot of the earlier things were like manhole covers and like, like uh, escalator stairs right. and uh, like very, very close up uh, like macro shots of things. And it's been getting further and further away and like showing like wide, wider views of cities and interiors of buildings and that sort of thing. And, and now we're seeing like an extreme close up of tree bark. Close up of, yeah, of tree bark and, and, and na- nature and stuff. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. And then the video is bookended with the two shots of um aerial shots of trees mm-hmm. yeah um do the do the lyrics have something to do with that theme gonna, i gotta watch this again after we're done <laughs> at regular speed with sound I, I never i never actually looked up the lyrics i thought i was just kind of was too entranced with the video to i mean the music the song is good i really like the music but um i was just like too entranced with the video to actually like pay attention to the, to the lyrics. And I think it's just saying someday over and over again. Okay. So the lyric, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, actually there is, there's like another break where he says something like it's a waste of time. Okay. Okay. It just went dark. You did the whole thing. Not counting the, the two forests. Right. It's zooming, zooming out now. Oh, that's neat. I also really like this intro and exit shot because it always reminds me of how cool, um, what's it called? Canopy shy. Oh yeah. Is that what it's called? Canopy shyness is where like trees oh, yeah, grow, yeah. grow within like a foot of one another, but don't touch or something. It's, that's really neat to me. Yeah. Very generative. It is really neat. It's like a, it makes me think of like Voronoi patterns. Yeah. Oh, is that the lightning one? That's Lichtenberg, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're right. This is really cool. I feel like Tyreek, I've I've dropped by your stream a few times, and I think every single time I do, I find a new song to add to the library, and this is no <laughs> exception. Uh, are we ready for another topic? Yeah. yeah, that was good. I think I'm going to do this one again next next episode. Not the same video, but 
I will say it's kind of strange to be like describing something so visual in an audio an audio medium. Uh, it is, but also we we got good conversation out of it. So okay, yeah, true, true. Uh, Tyreek, your topic is UNESCO intangible cultural heritage lists. So yeah, the UNESCO intangible cultural heritage list established with the aim of ensuring better protection of important intangible cultural heritages and their significance. I don't think I really had anything specific to say about this other than it's just kind of a neat idea. And it's interesting to me, the idea of uh, trying to preserve aspects of humanity and our, you know, multitudinous cultures that um, aren't tangible or, and yeah. don't like produce a physical object of any kind. So are, here's here's some examples just so that people know what's what's happening. So here's a list of intangible cultural heritage in need of urgent safeguarding. Uh, we have for in Egypt traditional hand puppetry. In Indonesia, they have multifunctional knotted or woven bag. Oh, that see that's well, that one's bullshit because the woven bag is the physical product but maybe like the but it's like the knowledge of how to make it the process the act of making it is the interesting like in iran is iranian dramatic storytelling shadow play pottery manufacturing processes that sort of thing is what we're talking about yeah i i I kind of think of it in, in the same terms of like like preserving languages and that sort of thing like languages that are dying and only have like a very small population of people who speak them and know how to speak them and are willing to teach them and that sort of thing. It's kind of similar to me is like these things aren't like they're parts of humanity. And if they aren't preserved or, you know, somehow recorded and remembered, then they're just going to be gone forever at some point. Yeah. Like, like how do we keep that from happening? Do we want to keep that from happening? Like, like, like how, how many things throughout history have befallen the same fate, like of just like, he, hey, here's like a really, really cool, unique, specific thing that this one culture does. And then they get like either wiped out by invaders or like displaced and assimilated somewhere else and that sort of thing. Where and, and like the knowledge of the cool thing is either lost or just transformed into something unrecognizable. Part of me is like, yes, that's sort of a natural course of human becomingness is <laughs> like we be humans, we become something new every generation, but also like they are worth preserving because a lot of, because history is worth knowing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. History is worth knowing. And these things, even though they don't produce a tangible artifact, or if they do produce a tangible artifact that like the knowledge is not a tangible artifact still, you know, provides value to the world. Uh, yeah. by making it a cool and interesting place. Uh, this is a tangent, but I saw recently a tweet with a photograph of game strategy guides that had been collected by the Library of Congress. Whoa. That had been rebound so that like the Doom Battle Book and the the, the Diablo strategy guide like, like Duke Nukem looked like they were hardcovers from the 50s. Oh, wow. Wow. With the like simpler, I guess, uh, binding. I'm I'm imagining like a like a leather bound book or something like that that just has like a very simple face on it. Is it like that kind of thing? Like that, yeah. Well, it, it was presumably it's because like those books tend to be like used glue binding. Like it just is going to fall apart if you just look at it sideways. Right. 
But yeah, like the storing, um, preserving something that is intangible, like you can film it or you can like record people talking about it in depth. But a lot of this stuff, like if it's a skill, it's something that people learn over the course of years. Yeah. Over the course of an entire lifetime, potentially. And the only way to really preserve that is is for someone to, yeah, exactly, for, for a, a community of people to practice it over the course of their lives. Right. It's so interesting because every, like, everything on this list, you know, just reading down the list that you were reading from earlier is like different from each other completely, right? And also, right, it's like you can't, you can't capture the knowledge. All you can even hope to capture is, is like, you know, people talking about it or videos or, or, and like, you know, if there are objects or something for some of them, but even like that only even became possible, like not extremely long ago. Right. Yeah. Like before it was just writing. I have to say, I was looking over this list and like, I was being disappointed that I didn't recognize anything, but if I had recognized something, it probably isn't endangered. Well, not, uh, I think the the top part of this list isn't strictly endangered. It's just in well, it says in need of urgent safeguarding. Right, but there's 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 like the that's the lower list. Oh, I didn't even see this upper list. Yeah, yeah, the upper list has has like um, let me see. Well, there's tugging rituals and games from Cambodia and the Philippines and South Vietnam and or South Korea and Vietnam, mm-hmm. and. I mean, I'm not saying I know what that is, but, but like, like there's these, these are things that aren't endangered, but are like still intangible practices of, of people's avalanche risk management from Austria and Switzerland. Whoa. Falconry. There we go. Falconry is good. There's a lot of, con- yeah, a lot of countries under falconry. You know what sucks is that there's no workable notation for dance. Is that true? Well, people have tried many times, but it's just none of them are good enough to to capture all the ways people can dance. Oh, interesting. I never even considered that. I've, I've seen like, you know, like the idea of like ballroom dance where they have like the steps on the floor and that sort of thing. There's Dance Dance Revolution. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. There's DDR. For, for, <laughs> for very constrained types of dance. <laughs> Is there notation for like B dances? Maybe that's like the extent of complexity oh i like that yeah i i bet i bet there is yeah i, I think bee dances are, are um a lot more constrained than human dances well but now i'm wondering like how you would do that would you have to like assign like different i guess it would have to be as com- at least as complex as music notation because you'd have to have like like different uh different types of motion like how 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 in um how in music there's like, oh, play this portamento or play this forte, you know, and you'd have to have that same thing for, for, for dance where it's like, do this quickly or do this smoothly, you know, that sort of thing. In, in addition to the actual information of what you're doing, you have to describe how you're doing it. So the things you can do are just so like you can move any, any joint in any direction, basically. Right. So it's just a list of coordinates and vectors. I, I mean, honestly, like if I were to, if I were tasked with making a dance notation, I would start with like skeletal 3D animation software, like skeletal animation. Yeah. And try to simplify from there. You just, yeah, you just motion, you use motion capture technology and like, here's your notation. <laughs> right, right. It's just, here's where all these ping pong balls were. <laughs> I'm also curious now, like if there are 
shared aspects of motion within dance across cultures uh, that are like somewhat universal in the same way that kind of like there's the whole like was like Keke and Baba thing. Oh, Kiki and Boba. Kiki and Boba. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Baba is you. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, are they dancers too from Baba is you? Anyway, sorry. So explain that for give, give the listeners some context if they don't have it. I guess the idea was like asking people from different cultural backgrounds, like what the shape of these things are. Yeah. Like they would show, they would show like a picture of like a round shape and a spiky shape. And ask them which one's named Kiki and which one's named Boba. Right. And That's Kiki was so always cute. the spiky one and Boba was always the round one. Right. Everybody, like every culture agrees that Kiki's the spiky one. What? That's so cool. That's where uh, it is really got neat. the name for Baba is Baba and Bo- and Kiki from. But yeah, like I wonder if there are, if there's like anything similar to that, like in motion, like in body language where it's like, okay, no matter where you're from, this thing means that, uh, smiling maybe. But that's not like a large motion. That's just kind of a facial expression. Right. Yeah. No, there's the tradition of wine horses in Spain. Wine horses? <laughs> there's, it's not a blue link, so I, don't, can't, I can't click on it and find out. Yeah, that's the other thing that's kind of frustrating about me is some of the things on this list sound so intriguing, but you can't click on them and like, I mean, I guess you could just Google it and try and find it somewhere else. Right, right. I'm, I'm really hoping the horses get drunk as opposed to the horses like bring you wine. Oh, or it could be horses made out of wine bottles. Oh, yeah. I wonder how many instruments have ever existed that maybe more than like 10 people have have learned how to play just like ever, everywhere. Yeah, that's it's really it's really hard to know. But there's a there's an answer that, that I think that question is well defined enough that there is a, a correct answer that no one will ever know. Yeah, true. Well, except maybe the definition of an instrument. <laughs> and the definition of learn uh, to play. <laughs> you have to be able to play Mary Had a Little Lamb on it. So, no drums don't count. <laughs> it's a very Western-centric view. Right. Yep. <laughs> uh, that's all the time we have for Topic Lords. Uh, that was very fun. Yeah, that was fun. Thanks, y'all. Yeah. Uh, Tyreek, if, if this is something that you want, where could people find you on the internet? I am 4-Bit Friday, spelled out, no number, all letters, everywhere on the internet. I'm the only one. Um, how, do you make the, how do you make the number four out of letters? Do you like, you can use some I's to... Yeah, it's, it's I, 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 <laughs> right. Bit Friday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Roman numerals, no. Uh, no. Where, where did the name come from? I don't know if that's a question you've answered a billion times <laughs> elsewhere, but... When I used to frequent IRC chats a lot, I would change my name every day of the week and have a different name for every day. So I was Megabit Monday, 10-Bit Tuesday, Wicked-Bit Wednesday, 3-Bit Thursday, 4-Bit Friday, 6-Bit Saturn, and I think I... Was I just 7-Bit Sunday? I think I was just 7-Bit Sunday. Uh, Eventually, I just stopped on a Friday because it was my favorite, like of that of that cycle of that rotation i was like mm-hmm. i i just like this one i'm sticking with this one for now and forever <laughs> there you go that's super cool and chris if this is if this is something that you want where can people find you on the internet uh sure i'm on twitter at mr chris l hall i think i always need to double check um 
But yeah, find me or don't. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for being on. Thank you. Thanks, guys. That was super fun. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.